Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Nobody has more respect for women than I do. Nobody. Hillary Clinton wants to abolish it, believe me. She wants to abolish our Second Amendment. I think they didn't deny it. I don't think anybody denied it. Other presidents did not call, did write letters, and some presidents didn't do anything. Many people have come out and said, I'm right. You really do have to ask yourself, where does it stop? Hello and welcome to Fallacious Trump, the podcast where we use the insane ramblings of stochastic terrorists to explain logical fallacies. I'm your host, Jim. And I'm your other host, Mark. A logical fallacy is an error in reasoning that results in bad or invalid arguments. And the logical fallacy we're looking at this week is the hot hand fallacy. Yeah, so before we get on to the hot hand fallacy... I just mm-hmm. want to wish everyone a happy Four Seasons Total Landscaping Day. Oh, yeah. Happy Four Seasons Total Landscaping Day. Because <laughs> yes. it is the second anniversary of objectively yeah. the best thing to ever happen. Yeah. Yes, it is. <laughs> wow. Is that two years? Two years. Wow. Yeah. Cool. So I yeah. am wearing my official Fallacious Trump Four Brilliant. Seasons Total Landscaping t-shirt, exclusively yeah. available from our merch store at fallaciousTrump.com slash merch, yeah. and yeah. Uh, and officially enjoyed by No Illusions, which we'll talk about a little bit yeah. later. But yeah, um, yeah. yeah so happy Four yeah. Seasons Total Landscaping Day to all who celebrate. Exactly. <laughs> and you could get one and then just Sharpie happy anniversary <laughs> or two on it. Yeah. And then like every subsequent year, just, just put, buy another yeah. one and put a number, number on Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah. So, <laughs> on to the hot hand fallacy. You might remember back ages and ages ago, in the midst of time, uh, episode 111. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Several yeah. prime ministers ago. Yeah. We, yeah. we talked about the gambler's fallacy. Uh-huh. And that is where, as you will know, because you definitely listened to that episode, that is where someone confuses dependent and independent events and ends up assuming that because a thing hasn't happened for a while, that it is due yeah. to happen. It is more likely to happen now, even, right. even though that is probably a, an independent event. Now, yep. the hot hand fallacy is exactly yep. the same reasoning, but leading right. to exactly the opposite conclusion. <laughs> oh, okay, so, right. so they yes. still confuse the independence and dependence of events, but they assume that if a thing has happened several times, it will continue yep. to happen, that it is on some right. kind of streak or run. Right. So that And that's the same kind of fallacy that befalls gamblers thinking so they could probably hold those two contrary fallacies in their head at once so they go ah right i need to bet on red now because black's been coming up so long or we need to continue to bet on black because black's been coming up so long black is clear there's clearly a run of blacks we should get on that and ride it till the end yeah yeah but then, but there would never be an end. That's, that's the thing, is it? Uh-huh. Because they would just say, well, it's always going to be black. And yet, yes, I guess there <laughs> must be a, a moment when it feels like there's been too many. Yeah. So therefore, we need now to switch to the other lot because it's just getting a bit too scary. Absolutely. Where there will always be somebody saying, yeah, yeah, just... Just keep betting on that. It'll be fine. Probably the guy that owns the casino <laughs> who will just say, yeah, you just keep doing what you're doing. You'll be fine. Yeah. And as he's walking away, counting dollars, <laughs> licking his fingers. 
Yeah. So yeah. our first example comes from Trump, and it is talking about Obamacare in 2017. In Kentucky, seven carriers have exited the state since Obamacare was implemented. I've been saying this for a long time. As a result, nearly half of the counties in Kentucky had only one choice in 2017. And the trends continue, and I think they definitely will. We don't have to think they will continue. But we will come, and we will do something great. And we're in the process of doing it. But if trends do continue, they'll have no plans in Kentucky in 2018. Yeah, we don't have to think. Yeah, we don't have to think. No, in fact, we don't have to think. It's better if we don't. Yeah. Yeah, because (laughs) if you do, then that would stop you looking at the possibility of numbers before <laughs> yeah. 2017. Yeah, say, yeah. say we before were to do that, for example. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And just to see how long this trend uh, that Trump is saying will definitely continue had been going for, yeah. Uh, yeah. what we see is when Obamacare came in in 2024 in Kentucky, there were three insurance companies, insurance providers. Yeah. Yeah. In 2015, there were five. Yeah. In 2016, there were seven. So if that trend right. had continued... Right. It would yeah, have gone eighteen, yeah, nine, eleven, nine, that, and so on. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But what Trump is talking about is the the one year trend where it went from seven to three, from from twenty sixteen to which isn't really a trend. When one th- when a thing happens no. once, that's not typically considered to be a trend. No, so that's just the begin- <laughs> you know you can always retrospectively look back and go that was the moment that uh-huh. that trend began. Yeah, but but at the time when you're in it. Even though he's been saying it for a long time, well, he can't have been because it's <laughs> not even been a year. He hasn't been in office that long, and he's and let's face it, he doesn't know anything about this until he tries to make the auto cue a bit more personal and a bit more things that he's thought up rather than people that know stuff have just got him to say. So yes, and I've been saying this for a long time. Well, <laughs> if you had been saying it for a long time, been, you would have noticed the trend before now. Yeah, historically wronger rather than presently yeah. wrong. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So basically, insurance providers come and go for all kinds of reasons. One of them might be the Affordable Care Act. It might be that there are insurance mm-hmm. providers whose plans are not compatible with it, or they're they're just kind of not finding that they're making the profits they need to out of it, or whatever. Um, but other insurance companies come along to fill that niche. And, yeah, yeah at this point in 2017, there were just as many insurance companies uh, in Kentucky as there had been at the beginning of Obamacare. And so it was essentially regressing to the mean. And that has been the case across the US. In 2014, mm-hmm. there were five uh, insurance providers on average per state. And in 2021, there were five. Right. And okay. that went up yep. as high as six at one point, and it went down to three and a half. And these things yep. fluctuate, and they're, they are not dependent. They, you know, one insurance provider deciding not to provide insurance, health insurance in Kentucky does not then lead to another company doing the same thing. Yeah. If anything, it's likely to provide an impetus in the other direction because there's yeah. now a bit of that market which is currently untapped. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. yeah, these these are not completely independent events, but they're certainly not dependent in the trend sense that Trump is suggesting. Yeah. Um, and and yeah. if you look at, like, for example, another trend of the number of uninsured people in Kentucky, mm-hmm. that yep. went down pretty precipitously from, from right. 2014. Uh, it was over 600,000 
in uh, b- before Obamacare in 2013, and uh, by 2016 it was down to under 225,000, uh, wow. which is a, a over 60% reduction. Wow! Across the US, by 2016, almost 18 million uh, uninsured people had had got on insurance by that point, reducing the uninsured population by 40%. So that's what really is the kind of the numbers related to uh, the Affordable Care Act. It was, it was an unmitigated success, which doesn't mean that there were no people disadvantaged by it, no people who ended up yeah. paying more yeah. higher premiums or uh, you know, insurance companies not continuing. But overall, it was a huge success. And even in specific cherry-picked places like Kentucky, where you can say yeah. seven the, insurance the providers have left, seven um, yeah. you know, other yeah. insurance companies started up. But we kind of, and what it does is, is again, um, to, to us, to, to, well, to any sentient being, um, anyone who thinks about this stuff, I guess that the trend has been fulfilled yet again for Trump to say something and for it to not turn out to be true. <laughs> so that's, you know, far be it from us to, to kind of gamble <laughs> on that. But, but we could kind of go, yes, I mean, we... if anything's a sure thing. Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, yeah. Yeah, don't suddenly <laughs> don't start weighing don't, it, weighting it the other way. Take gambling and, and advice think, from a podcast. Yeah, yeah, but if you're exactly. ever offered the opportunity to bet on whether yeah. the thing Trump said is true or not, it's, it's true I mean, not. you know, don't go all gamblers put, fallacy and put think a few quid in this for me. time. Okay, there's been ninety nine percent of the times <laughs> that he said something will happen, it hasn't. Therefore, the odds that this one will happen have gone up. So we ought to bet on this one actually happening. We would, you know, far be it from us to give you gambling advice, but we would advise you, nope, just keep betting with the hot hand because, you know, they're tiny hands. Yeah, they're, they're flaming hot. They they're f- <laughs> flaming, <laughs> roaring, <laughs> ro- roaring with heat. And now is the time, I think, for Mark's British politics. Corner. Swimming around in the, the swamp of current Tory party politics, I kind of also noticed that the Tories, when it suits them, will try and unhook uh, a trend um, from it being real, like when Truss announced her mini-budget and the the pound tanked and the budget grew a massive hole and they they just said, oh, no, that's a trend that's, you know, we, we're nothing to do with that. That's just the global trend and it's nothing to do with our our anything that we can do and yet at the same time the Tories maintain and have always maintained as I shall go on to illustrate that the things that they do will continue the trend so we're going to look at let's just get away from um, the current interminable reign of the Tory party and look back to the previous interminable reign of the Tory party back in 1997 where Tory leader John Major was announcing the general election. And I think he's expressing the hot hand fallacy because he's sure that people will see that the 18 years of Tory rule then had been beneficial. And he is confident that he and they will therefore continue in office. I see what the opinion polls say. I also see what so many of my uh, colleagues say when they come back from standing on the doorstep and talking to people. And I believe this election is winnable. Not only do I think it's winnable, I think I'm going to win this election, and so are the Conservative Party. We have an 18-year record that I am proud of, and I believe that nobody who looks back over the span of that 18 years could have a shred of doubt 
about the improvements that people have seen in this country. He's very confident there, and he's thinking that, yeah, well, he's riding the wave of several re-elections, so Thatcher was elected twice, and then he uh, took over from Thatcher. I don't know that they called a general election at that point. I think he just, and he didn't suffer a, um, a leadership um, the vote of no confidence or anything. He just carried on. And so the, his time in office ended, so that's why he called the general election. I like his distinction between, I think this election is winnable and that he will win it. So I mean, it's definitely winnable by some. Yeah, yeah. Well, you, you, yeah, you think that because when it came to the two thousand five election, um, it wasn't nobody won it, which is why we got David Cameron and Nick Clegg joining forces. Because yeah, so I guess that's it's true that it's it's possible that, but. At that time, the trend had been that people are um, enjoying the the benefits of 18 years of Tory rule, and uh, he's quite relaxed about it. He's quite, you know, his hands are hot at this moment. So he's just he's saying, yes, I've looked at the opinion polls, but I've also looked at people on the doorstep, which is, you know, politicians speak for, yeah, the opinion polls aren't terribly accurate. So here's Peter Mandelson, who's on the other side. He's the campaign director for the Labour Party uh, during this election campaign. And he's giving an alternate view of what John Major is saying. And I think in a way he's kind of indicating that Major is being a bit complacent and playing out the hot hand. What's absolutely clear is that coming from the Conservatives is a message that Britain's fine. Nothing needs to change. Our hospitals are fine. Our schools are fine. We don't have to care about the unemployed. We don't have to do anything more to, get, to tackle crime. It is a very complacent message indeed, whereas our view is that Britain can do better, it deserves better, but it can only get better from a new Labour government. The reason that it was a pleasant distraction from the current <laughs> debacle in British politics is that in 1997, the governing Tory party, led by John Major, was defeated in a landslide by the Labour Party, albeit led by Tony Blair, who at this time wasn't the warmongering US lackey that he turned out to be. And they got a 179-seat uh, majority. And at the same time as finding that, it struck me that the complacency expressed by the Remain campaign during the run-up to the Brexit referendum was similar hot-hand-ish in that they thought that they would not have to point out what has the European Union ever done for us very forcefully because it was just as self-evident to them as victory was to Major. So it's a kind of complacency. It's kind of, yeah, everything will be fine. Everyone knows that um, Europe is a good thing. We can just rely on the fact that Europe's been a good thing since 1973 when we joined. It's all fine. And, of course, what they neglected to consider was the self-evident lust for power and jo Boris Johnson, who would employ every trick and untruth in the book that we've look, looked at and I've used to populate <laughs> this section of the of the podcast. Bent bananas, unaccountable leaders, the NHS, Turkish immigrants and all that. So let's fast forward to now. And I think there are some other things that the Tory government uses that are things to be relied on as winning hands in their bridge game of politics. Here's Sunak's government, however, and he says, we'll have no more relying on those winning hands of mentioning Jeremy Corbyn to win the argument like Boris and Trust did 
and he tells us on becoming PM he'll do it all differently. So first of all, let's hear Boris and Truss evoking Corbyn and then him saying, no, no, we're not going to do that anymore. And, and he campaigned, he campaigned to put Vladimir Corbyn, I mean, sorry, uh, Jeremy Corbyn, Jeremy Corbyn in Downing Street, Mr Speaker. Boris, you got Brexit done. You crushed Jeremy Corbyn. This government will have integrity, professionalism and accountability at every level. And two days later, in Prime Minister's questions, he's retreading the same rhetoric. He's playing the same winning hand. Perhaps he could explain to us why it was a few years ago he was supporting the member for Islington North. This is the person who in 2019 told the BBC, and I quote, I do think Jeremy Corbyn would make a great Prime Minister. And if I'm going to live rent-free in his head, at least he could accurately reflect what I, what I think and what I say, rather than um, inventions made up by him or his office. So there's Corbyn there on the end, who's kind of getting a bit fed up with it. <laughs> and almost pointing out, well, you know, you can't com continue to bet on me being a winning hand for your uh, bridge game. And, you know, hey, it's a hot hand. So, you know, it will Corbyn will trump sick any card laid on the table by the opposition. And furthermore, it stands in for an actual answer in in three questions. I think that Starmer asked um, uh, Sunak the other day, two of them mentioned Corbyn and the other one Brexit. And and they were nothing to do with either of them. So it still continues to be a, a winning streak. And you may find yourself living in number 10. And you may find yourself in charge of a massive death. And you may find yourself unable to steal this thing. You might find yourself in a fiscal mess with your millionaire life. And you might say to yourself, my God, what have I done? Finding the fallacies, fallacies in the wild. Finding the fallacies, fallacies in the wild. Here come the blues again after the money's gone. Can't wait a lifetime when will the election come. Same as it ever was. 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 Talking heads there with their hot hand release. <laughs> Once in a lifetime. Yeah, I believe they're part of the anti-growth coalition, aren't they? Yes. Oh, yeah, no, yeah. absolutely. They are, <laughs> along, with, along with status quo. <laughs> so in The Fallacy in the Wild, we like to talk about the Fallacy of the Week from a non-political perspective. And our first example this week comes from Bewitched. Ah. This is an episode where uh, Darren, Samantha's yep. husband, is actually having a bit of a run of good luck. And he gets the impression that actually it's Sam doing magic for him and making things go his way. Right. And so he kind of starts treating it quite cavalierly, as if, like, whatever <laughs> he wants to happen is just yeah, going to happen. happen. And so one morning he leaves work like this. Wow, sweetheart, you better take your umbrella. Well, I'm sure it'll stop raining in a few minutes. 
it's raining awfully hard. What makes you think so? Because I want it to. What? I mean, I, I feel it will. Oh, <laughs> have a good day. I know I will. My, you are Mr. Confidence this morning. I'm in a winning streak. Darren, <laughs> <gasps> it stopped. Maybe you are on a winning streak. Honey, there's an old gambler's expression. When you're on a winning streak, ride it. <laughs> Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and that's a, a, an old expression for gamblers who end up losing all of their money because yeah. eventually the winning streak will come to an end. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, we talked about regression to the mean last time. Randomness is clumpy. And, and when you are mm. betting on or experiencing independent events, sometimes there will be a run of things that all go one way or your way or whatever. And that's what Darren is experiencing here. He has had a couple of days where he got a contract he wanted at work and he got, you know, he just, things he said turned out to happen and and come true. And it's just, it's coincidence that they've all happened in a row. And he assumes that that is going to continue happening. With hilarious consequences. Yes, yeah. But the argument that when you're on a winning streak, you keep going. Yeah. Is is pervasive among people who believe in this fallacy, um, yeah. and and with the gambler's fallacy, is is kind of the other way. The well, like, yeah, yeah, if you're if you're on a winning streak in a way with that, you want to stop because it's probably going to go the other way. Going to go the other way, yeah. But that is something that comes up from time to time. It came up in this episode of South Park, where the local Native American run casino has kind of drained South Park dry of all its gamblers and uh, has decided to buy the town so that it can destroy it and just build a highway through to Denver so that it can get more people to to their casino. And so the residents of South Park raise as much money as they can in the hope of buying the town back themselves. Mm -hmm. And and between them, they're able to raise $10,000. And so they come up with this brilliant plan to go to the casino and bet all of their $10,000 on roulette so that they will make enough money to buy the town back. And they put it all on 31 black, and it comes up. We have plenty enough to save our town now. Yeah, but wait, $350,000. That means if we won again, it would be 12 and a quarter million. (gasps) We can save the town and be super rich. Oh, hell yeah, let it ride. Let it ride. What the hell are they doing? Let's go, 31. Let's see. Two red, you lose. Oh! Damn it! <laughs> they, they had it! They freaking had it! You totally had it! You had enough to save the town and then some! Stan, okay? You just don't understand the fine points of gambling. You're never supposed to stop when you're on a winning streak. A winning streak? You played one game! <laughs> Yeah, that's Trump's trend, isn't it? Not a trend. We're one year. Yeah. 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 So they won once and they thought, well, you know, we've won once. So let it ride. Just let it ride. Because when you're on a winning streak, you keep going. Just keep going. (laughs) The finer points of gambling. Yeah. Yeah. And gambling is used, again, as a metaphor this time in uh, Adam McKay's film The Big Short. Uh, yeah. And this is a kind of cutaway where Nobel Prize winning economist after this, Richard Thaler and Selena Gomez, explain mortgage bonds and stuff using blackjack and using the hot hand fallacy. So here's how a synthetic CDO works. Let's say I bet 10 million on a blackjack hand. 10 million because this hand is meant to represent a single mortgage bond. 
Okay, Selena has a pretty good hand here, showing 18, dealer showing seven. That's a really good hand for Selena. Good odds. In fact, her chances of winning this hand are 87%. So, my odds are good. I'm on a winning streak. Everybody in this place wants to get in on the action. How could I lose, right? Now, this is a classic error. In basketball, it's called the hot hand fallacy. A player makes a bunch of shots in a row. People are sure they're going to make the next one. People think whatever's happening now is going to continue to happen into the future. During the real estate boom, markets were going up and up, and people thought they would never go down. He invokes there the basketball use of the hot hand fallacy and saying it's a, yeah. you know, it's a thing in basketball. And, yeah. and the reason he specifically talks about that is because there was a paper in 1985 called The Hot Hand in Basketball on the Misperception of Random Sequences. Right. where psychologists talked to fans and coaches and players to see if they believed this impression that people had that players can be hot or cold. They can, they, mm. you know, like, they can be having a run of good likelihood of hitting baskets, yeah. and if they have hit a few, then they're likely to continue to do well. If you've ever played the NBA Jam game, I used to play it on the Mega Drive, there yeah. was a thing where if you, you hit three baskets in a row then you're hot and pretty much you can't lose the next one. You'll definitely get one in next right. time. Uh, and the commentator on the game will go, he's on fire. Oh, and right. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> those psychologists showed, first of all, that people believed this was a thing. And then they did some statistics and showed that it wasn't a thing. And they said, well, actually, oh, okay. actually what yeah. they did is they looked at the likelihood of a player making a basket after, after previously making one. Yeah. Or hit or missing after previously missing one, basically like shooting but missing. Right. Yeah. And they found that it was essentially a wash. They were essentially independent shots. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so from that point, they said, well, you know, there's it's it's a myth, it's a fallacy, it's a it doesn't exist really in basketball, and it's just the thing that people believe exists. However, more recently, more mm. work has been done on this uh, by other statisticians um, who right. have looked at that old paper and said, yeah, they didn't do a very good job of their statistics or their analysis. Right. Okay. And so these new people, Miller and Sanjuro, looked at more data, better data. They looked, uh, mm-hmm. I believe, at things like shots after you've made two or three in a row. They also looked at the fact that the when a player has hit a couple of successful shots, the defense is likely to increase around them. The mm-hmm. other team is likely to, to guard them more. And so actually, even if, say they have a 50% likelihood of hitting a, a shot... It's likely to go down because of the increased defense? It would be likely to go down. So, so right. getting that 50% actually yeah. indicates that they are doing better than you would expect because defense right. around In them is increased. Oh, okay. Things like that. So basically, yeah, yeah, this, yeah. this uh, more recent study did more statistics, took into account more things, looked at a wider range of players over a wider range of time, and they found mm-hmm. that it is a real thing. It feels like that ought to be the case because they would have honed their... They would have got their eye in, as it were, um, although it's not because I know that... Well, from experience of watching dart players and playing darts... That the third one, getting the third one where you want it, is easier if the first two go where you want them. So that that kind of 
So there's that thing where you get your eye in and you work out what it is you need to do to have the thing fly to and hit the yep. target yep. where you want it to hit. I think that's fair in in very controlled situations. Like, yeah. like darts, you control everything about where you stand and what, you know when you throw and that kind of stuff. Because then the, the, the probability isn't return to zero each and every time. It's not return to the mean each time. Yeah. The probability probably increases if there's and that may probables. have an impact yeah. on free throw competitions, like mm. where people are shooting three, yeah, 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 uh, you know, from yeah. the same spot three times in a row or whatever. In a game, that's there's a there's so many other factors to take into account. Mm. You're not going to be shooting from the same, you know, not every shot is the same level of difficulty. Yeah. So there's yeah. there's such a lot more to take into account. I I studied statistics at university. I I don't understand yeah. nearly enough to figure out the stuff in this paper. It's way too complicated for me. Yeah, but for it to actually point to the fact <laughs> that it does appear that having got two two before you're likely to the get conclusion a third. they yeah. come to is that the hot hand is a real thing in basketball at least. The argument wow. is essentially it's a kind of confidence thing, probably. It's it's like, as we've talked about in the past, the superstition things of people kind of actually yep. playing better when they have their lucky T-shirt on or whatever because, yeah, yeah they, they believe that it's going to make an impact and, and so they might play that a little bit harder. One of the other explanations I've seen for this phenomenon in basketball and, and probably mm. realistically it occurs in other sports as well is that professional sports players frequently yep. play through injuries. So... That makes it kind of understandable that sometimes if a player is playing through an injury, if, if they're playing a game, you know, not at 100%, sometimes they are not going to necessarily be li- as likely to hit multiple shots. Whereas if they have one of those rare games where they're in absolute peak physical condition, that game they're more likely to hit more of their shots and and so on. So So that is more likely then to separate out those clumps of missed shots or made shots into sections rather than be randomly distributed as you might expect them to 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 be otherwise there's probably a many many Mm -hmm. factors that that um go into it and and arguably to simplify this whole thing arguably the 1985 study didn't take enough of those factors into account and oversimplified it it kind of shakes our entire raison d'etre to the core to find out that these fallacies are actually real. <laughs> they're not, not fallacies. There is some empirical evidence to show that what people think is true and that we dismissed as a fallacy <laughs> is actually true. That's so well. I mean, worrying. the thing is, I feel a bit. As, I feel a bit. My foundations have been shaken. As somewhat. we know from the fallacy, fallacy, just because yeah. something is, you know, a fallacy it's just a means ba- something yeah. is badly reasoned. It doesn't necessarily mean it's not true. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 right. If someone yes. invokes a, uh, uses a fallacy in in making a claim, that claim can still be completely true. It just that that's just yeah. a bad way to reason it. Just the, yeah, we're going to have to change the opening <laughs> paragraph to put yeah, all these yeah. caveats in you know, brackets. <laughs> Unless of course you're talking about the hot hand fallacy. <laughs> Citation required. Here it is. So before we move on to fake news this week, it's time for a reminder to fucking vote. Don't forget to fucking vote. Although, yes. the, obviously, most importantly, it's it's Four Seasons Total Landscaping Day. It is also the midterms yeah. tomorrow, i.e. Yeah. when this episode is realistically going to come out for most yeah. people. And it's voting day. It's your last opportunity yeah. to actually make a difference. And, and you know, I, I don't know any people who listen to this podcast who live in America who wouldn't already be voting and you know they they, they've already voting or would have forgotten to yeah Yeah. they're not going to just ignore it that would be 
those, those aren't our listeners. So, yeah. so really, you know, this is just kind of boilerplate here. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but get out there, speak to those people yeah. who you think might have forgotten. Ask them, what do I have to say to <laughs> you to get you to go and vote? Yeah. And then say that to them. And then they've got no grounds for refusal. If you don't know anything that you might need to know about voting in your state, in your locality, uh, who you're voting for, what the rules are, where your polling places are, if you have kind of on-the-day registration or any of those things at all, you can go to vote.org to find all of that good stuff out. And if you want a, a less quick and snappy way to remember that, it's fallaciousTrump.com slash vote. Um, that will take yeah. you to the same place. And all of the information you could possibly ever need about voting is on there. Don't be convinced by polls that you don't need to vote. Don't think mm. that because yeah. the polls say yeah. the Republican candidate in your area is doing well enough that there's just no point in you voting or that the Democrat candidate is um, a lock and there's, it, it, there's no reason for you to go and vote for them. Polls yeah. have not been great. Over the last few years, particularly. Yeah. They, um, yeah. But this year, particularly, yeah. especially for the midterms, it seems the Republican polling companies are flooding the zone with shit. Um, it yeah. really is yeah, yeah. making a difference to anyone who aggregates the polls together and looks at things from like Real Clear Politics and 538 and people who look at multiple yeah. sources and say, well, this is the average of where the polls are. The Republican companies are putting a lot of polling data out there to the point where, mm. for example, in Georgia, Independent polls have Warnock a couple of points up, but Republican polling companies have Walker kind of four, sometimes six percentage points up on Warnock. Yeah. And if and depending on who you listen to, you might think, well, this, you know, doesn't make any difference then. So, yeah. So ignore all the polls. Vote like your life depends on it, because for some people it does. Yes. So we're going to we're going to play fake news, folks. I love the game. It's a great game. I understand the game as well as anybody. As well as anybody. Yes, it's time for Fake News, the game where I read out three Trump quotes, two of which are real and one I made up, and Mark has to figure out which one is fake news. Because I've realised it's all been a, such a success so far that I'm just going to stick with what's obviously a winning formula <laughs> and, um, and decide on that basis. There's no point in risking it by backing the other horse, you know, midstream. It's, yeah. you know, I'm, on, I'm on a hot hand. I'm on a streak. I'm on a winning streak. I mean, I it's feel... The- I feel like the house in in the casino, so I'm just going to encourage you to continue doing exactly, exactly what you're doing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But also, thanks thanks to Andrew Brimson, who from last episode's appeal, where he said, "Yeah, it wouldn't be interesting to find out which was the winning one and which was the one that I picked." And then I realised, having had that information, that Jim has seen the same information. <laughs> so it's actually it's just an arms race just being yeah. escalated. So but, I'm yeah, thinking, that is right, sterling most work. Of the, well done I, for that. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. <laughs> like, most of them were threes, the correct ones, and most of the ones that I chose were twos. I think you were your answers were skewed in the same direction as the right answers. Let's say well, that. In, in that a... they were further along, the, <laughs> further along the numeric sequence. Yeah insofar as they were nearer three than two. I think Andrew should have released that information to me first <laughs> and then I could have won two or three games and then he would have released that information because I'm going to... See, I'm no clearer now no. because I now know that it's it's mostly been three. So if I 
you're just going to employ the double bluff. I mean, so I'm going to it's not going to affect what I do at all be because I'm no. it's completely randomized for me. <laughs> or so you say. Yeah. You know, I think we've had enough of experts. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, yeah. Andrew. Mm. Yeah. You've been no help at all. So these uh, statements are an example yep. of Trump kind of being flexible, being a good critical thinker and, and changing his opinion on something. What? What? Uh, we'll, what? We'll get to it. What? Oh. <laughs> uh, in this case, it's about what should be done with journalists who claim that they have confidential sources uh, or indeed whether those sources exist in the first place. Okay. His first statement is yep. from a time he was talking to Steve Ducey on Fox and Friends. He said, we don't have freedom of the press in this country. What we have is they're allowed to write whatever they want, and much of it, I don't say all, because there are some good ones like you, but much of it is fake. They claim they have sources, and when you ask them who they are, they say they can't tell you, which, let's be honest here, means they don't exist. Okay. <laughs> right. Yeah, because of course that's what that means. Uh-huh. Yeah. doesn't mean we're going to protect them because otherwise you'll hunt them down and kill them. Yeah. Statement number two, okay. mm-hmm. he's talking about the, uh, the Supreme Court leak. He says, you take the writer or the publisher of the paper, a certain paper that you know, and you say, who is the leaker? National security. And they say, we're not going to tell you. You say, that's okay, you're going to jail. And when this person realises that he's going to be the bride of another prisoner very shortly, he will say, I'd very much like to tell you exactly who that leaker is. Right. Right, right. So he's gone from they don't exist to I'm just going to blackmail you. <laughs> I'm going to literally yeah. torture you until until I'd threaten you, you with prison me. rape, and then you'll yeah. tell me. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. And then uh-huh. mm-hmm. uh, statement number three is in response to a thing I don't know if you've heard about this, but Catherine Engelbrecht and Greg Phillips, the the stars of Two Thousand Mules. Oh yes, yes, yes. Have been put in prison. Really? By a judge. Because they refuse to give up a source. Right. Right. And to back, to Trump's back up response their lies. Right. to this. Yeah. They spent one year going through tapes, government tapes, all government cameras, going through videos, one year, and they found thousands, tens of thousands of stuffed ballots. They have the tapes. You know what they did? They put them in jail two days ago. These people are evil and they're crazy and I don't think our country's going to stand for it. Who's who you talk about? The The... The two the that ju- went in the jail. Judge. Oh, okay. The judge is crazy and evil. Oh, okay, not the, the for, perpetrators for... who are evil yeah. and crazy. Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. Mm. Okay. So, uh, yep. Uh, freedom of the right, whatever they want. So they, yeah. Let's be honest. Let's be honest the, the, who is the leaker? Sounds like a, that sounds very Trumpy. Who is the leaker? Okay. Uh, mm, okay. So, I, I, yeah. On the basis of supreme knowledge and no ignorance whatsoever, I'm going to say that uh, number one is the one that you made up. Okay, so of the other two, which yep. are you more convinced more by? More convinced by the leaker one, number two. Number two. Mm. So number two yeah. is yeah. real. Ooh. You take the writer and or the publisher of the paper, a certain paper that you know, and you say, who is the leaker? 
national security. And they say, we're not going to tell you. They say, it's okay, you're going to jail. And when this person realizes that he is going to be the bride of another prisoner very shortly, he will say, I'd very much like to uh, tell you exactly who that leaker is. Jesus. It, uh, it, <laughs> it continues to sound like... I've got recordings um, that I inherited from my dad. They're LPs of um, 1950s American stand-up comedians. I guess they were, you know, the, the kind of Lenny Bruce-era comedians. The cadence of the, the, the comic saying these things... Mm was ahead of its time in the 50s because you know, people were saying on the back of the liner notes on the back of the LP, it would say, but he doesn't make jokes. He tells stories. And and you and you get... And it's just... If you did that and then just put it into an AI machine and said, give me pictures of, like, if you put it into Dar, um, what's it, Dali. Dali, yeah. yeah. And you said... Uh, I want recordings of 1950s stand-up comics. It would come out like this, you know, mm-hmm. based on based on absolute lies, and it would mm-hmm. sound exactly like that. It's just, it's horrific that they laugh. They mm. who are? It's just God. It's frightening that there are people in the audience who will just laugh at the the or applaud. We're not going to tell you. We're going to, it's purely based I mean, it's on a- what he is saying. It's a very easy crowd, isn't it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> he hasn't yeah. got to do any work, no. really. Because they've, they've paid not... to be there, kind yeah. of. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. He's not, he's not having, he's not going to go to one of these rallies and be asked to be, and, be held and, to account. Yeah. No. And not get a good response from no, the crowd no. when he it's says, full, when he plays yeah. the hits. It's not full of Australian journalists, is it? Yeah. Saying, well, you know, you, you can't do that. Here are, here, are the, here are the charts. You can't do that. And they can go to these rallies. And be confident that he's not going to be playing any new material. Yeah, yeah. They're going to get what they've come for. Yeah. He's like his own tribute act. Yeah. It's like when you go and see U2, the tribute act, you you only yeah. get the U2. They're not pushing a new album, so playing stuff you don't know. They're just doing all the hits very convincingly, as mm-hmm. if it's almost exactly like U2 was back in the day. So, he's yes, he's doing that. He's doing the greatest hits of a successful president, but he's a trip. He never was, so he's just doing the act. He's a bit like Rishi Sunak. He's making the noises that you associate with the leader of a political party, <laughs> yeah, without actually having to be one. So you also think that number three is real? I do, though my doubt is is kind of outweighing. But we won't go for that because my hot hand fallacy is saying, yeah, I yeah. mean, you're on yeah, a yeah. you're a on a roll. I'm on a roll, a roll of one. I've only played one game, but yeah. <laughs> And number three... Yeah, so the next one, bound to win. ...is real. Oh! They spent one year going through tapes, government tapes, mm-hmm. all government cameras, mm-hmm. going through videos, one year, and they found thousands, tens of thousands of stuffed ballots. Mm-hmm. They have the tapes. You know what they did? They put them in jail two mm-hmm. days ago. These people are evil, and they're crazy, and I don't think our country's going to stand for it. See, just saying lots of, you know, the, the time they spent... And that they found tens of thousands. Yeah. All of those that they found, if you, if he looked at anything other than <laughs> Dinesh D'Souza's film, even if he just listened to our our patron 
breakdown of the film, you know, far be it from us to deny him that pleasure. He could afford it. It could have, he, he would have realised that it's all absolute bullshit. So no wonder they put him in jail. So they, the they, thing is, that, but yep. they didn't put them in jail for that. They put them in in jail for, for not for not giving. They should, but they not. They put them in jail for not giving up a source, right. which is exactly what a week ago yep. he was he was saying that journalists should be subject to prison rape yep. for if they refuse to give up a source. Yep. Yep. And and now exactly what he says these, in the other these one, guys, true. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and the, yeah. these guys, and and he's saying this is he put them in jail. Can you yeah. believe oh, it? Because, that, because they That's, didn't give up the leaker. Yeah. yeah, they didn't give so, up the guy. Yeah, yeah. So this is a lawsuit uh, which is between True the Vote and a company called Connect, mm. a Michigan-based election software vendor, who yeah. are nothing to do with voting machines. They don't control votes or tabulate votes or count votes or anything like that yeah they um do uh, payroll software for election companies and and kind of um hr oh, oh, okay. stuff for so, yeah. poll poll worker companies yeah so um they get and paid. yeah yeah and there have been claims the ceo of connect eugene Yu, has been arrested recently on mm-hmm. suspicion drummed up by greg phillips um, mm-hmm. Accusations by Greg Phillips uh, that they have stored data about, like, personal poll worker data on Chinese servers, mm-hmm. and so there's there's an investigation going about this at the moment. Yep. Eugene Yu denies it. He also does the the kind of kettle logic lawyer thing, arguing yep. in the alternative of saying, "I didn't do it. Even if I did it, there's nothing illegal about that." Yeah, <laughs> I didn't do it. Yeah, and, yeah. But but essentially, Phillips and Engelbrecht, true the vote made accusations about Eugene Yu and about Connick, mm-hmm. saying not only did they do this stuff, but also he's a, a communist Chinese party shill. He's like, they made various allegations about him. It's so Connick, yeah. Connick yeah. sued True the Vote. Right. Um, True the Vote, in court, talked about data they got somehow from Connick. Proprietary right. data that they kind of shouldn't have access to. Right, yeah. And their argument their story about where they got that data has been fluid they have they Mm -hmm. have claimed at various points that it was a contractor working for them who got them that data and they didn't take any data from a protected computer in quotes which is what the law is against and then um connect the company explain their lawyers explained what a protected computer means which is just a computer on someone else's system which is connected to the internet like that's that's a thing you're not allowed to steal data from and they went oh is that what protect oh yeah he had nothing to do with us we'd never met him before he wasn't someone we paid to do this (laughs) nor did he get it from there yeah yeah Yeah. but they still claimed that they had met this guy in a in a hotel room in dallas and he had given them this data and also they said they added the bit of information that there was another person a third party in this meeting who they claim was a confidential informant for the fbi just right. randomly the judge not unreasonably i think yeah. said all right just to verify this who was the guy who gave you the data and yeah. who was that other guy yeah and who you claim was also there and they have Suddenly, refused to give yeah. the judge that information so they were right. found in contempt of court for that yeah and put in jail yeah. on the yeah. assumption that that might induce them to give the data that the court has asked yeah. for also, it's kind of key central to their case, really, isn't it? We've, kinda. We've got this guy. 
He's t- he gave us this data, and what's more, there was another guy who verified he that saw it the happen. data was yeah. he saw it all happen. They go, okay, who were they then? Not telling you. No. Don't trust us. Which <laughs> yeah. is essentially what yeah. two thousand mules come down to. Yeah, is we we have you know. people who have said this is real. Okay, who are those people? Not telling you. Trust us. It's fine. But, yeah, <laughs> and and trust us that we've got other examples to show that what we're saying is true. That they stuff many, many votes in many vote ballot boxes across many states in yeah. in several over one. Yeah, night. just take our word for it. What's wrong? It's not like we're proven fraudsters or anything. No. So just no. take our word for it. So they were taken into custody yeah. uh, for for their integrity and in not burning a source as by their reading. And Trump mm. thinks that is a okay, but yeah. uh, but the, but the journalists protecting their sources uh, no. should be attacked no. No. by yeah. big people called Bubba. <laughs> and uh, that means that number yeah. one was was not a real thing that was said. Oh hey, by Trump. yay, yay! Although he has in the past claimed that that confidential sources aren't really sources um yeah so it's not a million miles away from the kind of thing he would have said exactly uh, yeah but that does mean kind of thing. Yeah. Hey! That, you've, that you've won this week you're now on uh, you see, 49 yeah, yeah. you're definitely Gam- you're, this gambling is, on the hot hand uh, yeah this is the, the streak, beginning of, of a streak <laughs> yes this will be the moment where it uh-huh. gets passed down to, thanks to andrew bimson i hope you're <laughs> noting andrew Note it. This is yeah, day one, one this week. Day one, year uh, zero. And yeah, and yeah. we yeah we'll look back on this as the beginning of the big comeback. Yeah, of of a streak that lasted, you know, <laughs> including up to and including one game. <laughs> yeah, yay. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. So it's time for the part of the show that this week at least is called A Hammer is Not a Logical Fallacy. Oh, the fuck. <sighs> yeah, yeah. Because... be playing if I had a hammer. Yeah. Morning. Yeah. Season yes. three premiere of the show The Newsroom, Aaron Sorkin's yep. most recent TV show, I think so, yeah, right. um, was about the Boston Marathon bombings. Mm-hmm, yep. And the the episode, the the previous season had ended with them um, messing up a story. They mm-hmm. they've been taken for fools by a source, right. and yep. and printed inaccurate information or, or announced on the air in, inaccurate information on their cable news show, and yep. uh, and so the the Boston bombings there was a lot of information flying about, a lot of rumours and stuff, a lot of uh, things talking about the ethnicity of the bombers or the religion or the identity mm-hmm. in some cases that, that was flying about on that day, yep. and in the show, partly because they'd been recently burned. They said, "We let's get this right. Let's not be first yeah. to air with this information. Yeah. We'll, you know, let all the other networks beat us to air with the story, but yeah. we'll be accurate. We will have done our due diligence. We will have found out the right information. Yeah. And it reflected reality in that on the day, you know, someone was misidentified as the bomber, and the the name went round, and and you know, rumours flew, and." Uh, that was the situation essentially 
when uh, Paul Pelosi, Nancy Pelosi's husband, was attacked in the middle of the night yep. by a guy with a hammer uh, yep. who broke into their house in San Francisco and uh, broke, the broke, through a a, uh, yep. broke through a piece of glass uh, in the window and opened the door and uh, uh, confronted him. Uh, who was in bed. Nancy was in D.C., I think, at the time. She was certainly not at home. Kind of subjected him to house arrest in a in a way at first and, and said that he was going to wait there for Nancy to come back. That's who he was after. Mm-hmm. Paul Pelosi managed to call the police, had a conversation with the dispatcher, a bit of a coded conversation in as much as he wasn't, according to the notes that have come out subsequently and and the information from the police reports, he wasn't like, you need to get here now, there's a guy with a hammer, he's going to hurt me or something. Um, But the dispatcher knew enough to send police round. They went round. And uh, at that point, once the police were there, the intruder assaulted Paul Pelosi uh, and and smashed his skull, fractured his skull with a hammer. Lots of rumours flew about things that some of which were reported early very quickly by mm. legitimate sources and then quickly retracted some were misunderstandings based on the reports that had come out about the the dispatcher's report about things that yep. had been given to the police um that that things that had been reported in slightly ambiguous terms and were then taken and run with by news organizations but many more by um, just trolls, just yeah. uh, right-wing websites who made up stories. Um, yeah. And then those got put around as if they were true, um, especially by right-wing sources. And and you got people like Dinesh D'Souza, who was tweeting out any fucking rumour that came across yeah. his screen, and then yeah. had the temerity a couple of days later to complain that the story kept changing. <laughs> yeah because as you know as a bona fide documentary filmmaker mm. he wants the story to be one story yeah that he can then would have a narrative arc whereas yeah so yeah the- i mean i did i did to be, i did tweet at him i did reply uh, it's yeah. almost like people with enormous platforms shouldn't just tweet out any bullshit that comes across their their view and <laughs> <laughs> um, before the facts are known because yeah yeah, the, yeah it takes time in stories like this any any kind of story really for facts to be verified for for things to to um come to light that people didn't know before for police to uh, conclude investigations and talk to people for security camera footage to be released, for example. Mm. Mm. People were, were were saying that because the, the, the footage from the 28 security cameras that surround the Pelosi's home weren't immediately released to the public, that yeah. that was somehow suspicious and yeah. proved nefarious dealings between Pelosi yeah. and the attacker. Um, yeah. And and as it turns out, some of that footage has now been released, and it shows yeah. exactly what the official story has been yeah. to be true, yeah. and what not only the official story but the intruder's story. Exactly. Yes, the the testimony that he yeah. gave, which he says, yes, it was purely political. I was after Nancy. Yeah, I, and the, and the fact that the police were there when the guy attacked. Pelosi. Yeah. When he hit him with the hammer, the police were there and they saw him do it. 
So and, as an example yeah. of one of the stories that went round, for example, uh, yeah. one, the, the, an early report said that when the police arrived, the intruder, I'm not, we're not gonna, naming the intruder because fuck him, um, yeah. but, but the intruder and Pelosi both were holding a hammer. Mm-hmm. Right. And so the story went round, well, they each had a hammer. Had a hammer. There were two hammers. Why did they both have a hammer? That's very <laughs> suspicious. Rather than, but, okay, they were both both holding the hammer. Yeah, that's... Because you would, if someone's waving a hammer at you, the first thing you do would be to grab it... Absolutely. ...and stop him hitting you on the head with it. And that's, yeah. as it turns out, the truth. The, yeah. the intruder had a hammer, and Pelosi grabbed the hammer to try and take it away from him. So yeah. they were both holding a hammer. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and that kind of thing just went round and, oh, oh, this is very suspicious. And it was all anomaly hunting. It was all people going, oh, yeah. this, this sounds weird. That's, that's clearly proof that Paul Pelosi is gay and this was a grinder yeah. hookup gone bad. Yeah, because um, it was the middle of the night and they're both in their pyjamas. Yeah, well, or yeah, that was, was another pajamas, thing. They the said they were, both in, they were both in their underpants yeah. was another thing yeah. that went round, which, yeah. again, not true. Pelosi mm. wasn't even in underpants. He was in a pajama top and shorts. The yep. the other guy was dressed all in black, according to witnesses and according yep. to the police reports, um, yep. and including the reports at the scene where they said that they retrieved his. Uh, it wasn't his wallet because I think that was in his backpack. They retrieved something from his shorts pocket, pocket. suggesting yep. not underpants. Um, right, but yep. but nevertheless, it was a it was a quick story. It went round. It was a rumor. It went round to the point that, because so many right wingers are unbelievable assholes, yeah. Uh, when yeah. this when this eighty two year old man got his skull fractured by a hammer, Donald yeah. Trump Jr. put a picture of a pair of underpants and a hammer and said, "I've got my Paul Pelosi Halloween costume ready," on Twitter. And Carrie Lake was making jokes about it, and just many many people. They, all the people you would expect, basically, yeah. Yeah. were were treating yeah. it as a funny story. Yeah. Um, and I mean, when when Steve Scalise, uh, Republican politician, uh, was shot, I think in the hip at a, a congressional softball game, um, mm-hmm. the response from the Democrats, including Nancy Pelosi, was, "This is this is terrible. This is an appalling thing. This should never happen." I think Nancy said at the time, there are no parties today. This is just, we, we must all come together and condemn this behaviour. Mm. Um, and to be fair, Steve Scalise himself did also condemn this attack. Kevin McCarthy did. Mitch McConnell said this was reprehensible behaviour. But there was a, a lot of right-wingers, yeah. especially yeah. ones on telly. Tucker yeah. Carlson, and- Sean Hannity, people like that. And elected people. Oh, Ted yeah, Cruz, including, absolutely you know, including elected yeah, people. Who who tweeted our hated, latest hated right-winger, Matt Walsh, oh, tweeted him. Yes. Just retweeted him and go, yeah, truth. And it's... it's and Elon Musk. Com- the fucking com- new owner of Twitter. Chief twit. It's, it's, it's so obviously transparent that they're just jumping on anything to do down the opposition yeah. to, to, to and it's it is inhumane reprehensible behavior 
worse than, in some respect, breaking into somebody's house and hitting an old man with a hammer. Yeah. It's as bad, if not worse, than that. Yeah. To to just jump on the stuff and make of it what they want it to mean in order to boost their own ratings. That's yeah. all it's about. It's the it's narcissism versus human um empathy. Yeah. So th- let's just wait to see what's happened. What is the truth? There's a guy who's broken in to somebody's house. He's hit him with a hammer. What the fuck? Let's wait to see what's going on. Meanwhile, we'll just extend our uh, best wishes, our thoughts and prayers. Yeah. To... At the very fucking least. I mean, it's yeah. literally the least you can do is thoughts yeah. and prayers. Yeah. You, I mean, yeah. you don't... It's nothing. But... Yeah. And they still couldn't do that. Mm. It, yeah. No, that's <laughs> how desperate the fucking Republicans are. That's how desperate they are that they can't... If you've got any humans involved in the voting process, they're not going to vote Republican. They're going to vote Democrat. So what we'll do is dehumanise every single member of the Democrat Party and the Democrat ideals so that it's less inhumane when they are rubbed out. That's, yeah. you know, part, far be it from me to reduce everything to Hitler, but that's exactly what you do. <laughs> what you do, you, you dehumanise yeah, yeah. the opposition. It was the same with Thatcher and the right-wing press during the Argentine war, war where they, they called them argies. Yeah. So they were less than human. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's the same the, with, with uh, Trump calling immigrants animals. It's the same yeah. with Suella Braverman calling yeah. the immigration the, an invasion. Yeah. And, Turning yeah. up to the fucking migrant camp in a Chinook helicopter yeah. as if we're at war with them. Yeah. Yeah. For, for, it was a seven-pound train journey mm-hmm. from the bit of Kent she was in to the other bit of Kent she was in. Seven pounds it was yeah. taken. And it cost about 10000 Easily, to, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah for yeah. the fuel and the crew and the flight. What the fuck? Yeah, yeah. But no, what we need to do is dehumanise these. Yes, they are the anti-woke coalition. Mm. They are. Let's just dehumanise them all. Let's dehumanise the entirety of the Democrats by jumping on any little tidbit that we can turn in with our warped fucking view of what humanity is over here on the right in the Republican Party, in the grand old party, in the grand old tradition of being utterly despicable and inhumane, yeah. and and p- put that out there as if it's the truth and then complain when the truth comes out that the story keeps changing. Oh, story keeps changing. I can't keep up with this, yeah. so I can't cast this in and the a thing bad is, light largely anymore. the story kept changing because they were corrupt the correcting things that had initially been wrong. Yeah, yeah. That's why the story because changed. Because they then got the account from yeah, the guy Incorrect himself. information came round. Yeah. Everyone yeah. retweeted it and talked about it and made out like it was this big proof that it was actually no big deal or a false flag or a gay panic thing or yeah. didn't happen or whatever. Or well, there were two men um, with, yeah. both with hammers um, having a hammer I like off. One of the other yeah. things, for example, that they found very suspicious was that... that Pelosi apparently said he didn't know this person, but then gave his name, said he was called David, and that he was a friend. Um, so yeah. that's very suspicious. How did he know? Yeah. How did he know his name was David? How, and, yeah. you know, he said he was a friend. He didn't sound like he's being attacked. 
Um, and this came from an, an early report of the dispatcher's conversation with Pelosi, yeah. which her conversation with him was reported as Mr. Pelosi said he didn't know the intruder, but he said that his name was David and that he was a friend. Now, this is right. the problem with pronouns. Normally, yes. pronouns generally very useful. Right-wingers yeah. generally don't like them. Mm-hmm. But in this case, that <laughs> that he is ambiguous. Yeah. Because yeah. it was taken to mean he, Pelosi, said that the man's name was David and that he was a friend. Yeah. That isn't, as it turns out, the case. That he meant the that intruder. he belongs to the intruder, yes. Too and, many subjects and objects yeah. in the same... Same and and yes. when you go into the more detailed court report, which admittedly wasn't available at the time, which is why yep. you shouldn't jump to conclusions and spread exactly. baseless rumours when you don't yeah. have the facts yet. When you yeah. get when you have the actual information in the report in the court report, it yep. it says the dispatcher asked for the man's name. The man responded, "My name is David." When the dispatcher right. asked who David is, Mister Pelosi said, "I don't know," but David said, "I'm a friend of theirs." Mr. Pelosi then confirmed right. with the dispatcher he did not know the man. Right. So the yeah. the crazy guy with a hammer yeah. said, it's all right, nothing to see here. I'm their I'm friend. friend. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. That isn't suspicious. That isn't, it doesn't yeah. cast suspicion on Pelosi. No. But, it, no. but when it's first summarised and then reported inaccurately, right-wingers yeah. take that and go, well, you know, clearly they're gay. Far be it for me to conflate my own personal experiences to what Pelosi was going through. But when you send emails and or texts to someone that you're at loggerheads with, it is possible that they will, whatever you write, they will interpret it through the lens of their loggerheadness. Mm. You know that's and and it will mean it will therefore mean to them what they want it to mean to them, completely independently of what what your intention was or what your meaning was, which is a the problem with uh, being at loggerheads with people and b the English language and you know if Theresa Coffey got her way and we got rid of the Oxford comma. That would make it even worse. Because well, Theresa Coffee for that. Yeah, I mean, geez, for so many things. Exactly. But, yeah, but yeah. what the fuck? The Oxford comma? Yeah. Oh. What's it got to do with it? Jesus. She was saying it as health, meni- health <laughs> minister. Well, just because you can't understand nuance doesn't mean that nobody else should. And that's, yeah, that's the same thing as applied to the right wing in in Britain is that they will take things deliberately out of context and uh, and then deny that they've done that or will say when they've said utterly outrageous things that I was taken out of context. Yeah, but what? But the context was the beginning of the sentence where you said, I think. How can you defend that as being correct in, in, any, in any way whatsoever? I mean, we know how Matt Walsh works because he has opinions for money. We know how Ted Cruz works, because he retweets Matt Walsh's opinions for money for votes. And that's... It's that all of the right-wing response has to be somewhat tempered 
and strained through the notion that they are desperate for votes. Yeah. That's that's you know, how are we going to get vote, or rather, how do we get to be graced by the the loving yeah. glance of Trump? If that's, at, you know, at the most generous. I think you could say that that what they are trying to do is avoid sympathy falling on Nancy Pelosi, to av- yeah. avoid people thinking, "Oh, this is this is a bad." Th-. I mean, even ignoring the fact that the intruder um, was clearly a, a, if not if not specifically a Trump supporter, was radicalized in QAnon-based mm-hmm. conspiracy theories. Mm-hmm. He was election denier. Yeah. He he, yeah. you know. Talked about he said it was politically motivated. Yeah, uh, Mike Lindell videos, and yes, he absolutely said it was politically motivated. He said that yeah. she was the leader of the pack of democratic lies, yeah. and that he, yeah, he intended to make to get her to tell the truth. But if she wouldn't tell the truth, he was going to break her kneecaps with a hammer, and he was sure yeah. she wouldn't tell the truth. And let's face it, yeah. it was it was whatever his version of the truth is. So the chances that she yeah. would say that very small, um, yeah. and. Yeah, he also said that he planned to use her to get to kind of attract other people to to him to to get other mm-hmm. another other unnamed people to come to him, um, and and he had either a, an actual list or a list in his mind of people that he yeah. was going to be doing yeah. this to. One of the other things that went round that that even after the the criminal complaint came out and the the. Um, like his essentially confession yeah. was the argument that the glass of the door at the it was the there was yeah, there yeah. was the broken glass, glass the in the door there was glass on yeah, the outside yeah. which obviously as anyone who's ever seen a Poirot knows me yes, that yeah, that yeah. means that oh, it was broken from the inside yeah. yeah um which you have to have never broken any glass to think yeah. that that's how glass works yeah. If you've I, if you've ever dropped a a drinking glass or anything like that, it goes fucking yeah. everywhere. It, it, it goes everywhere. There, yeah. There have, like, yeah, there've been forensic studies on what happens when you break a pane of glass to see yeah. you know to see if you can tell which direction it was broken from, and you can tell by kind of cracks and striations of the glass fragments that you find and and you can kind of put them together and and see that it kind of goes out in a particular pattern from the impact you yeah. can't tell from where the glass is the glass goes fucking everywhere yeah it's a bit like pre-stressed concrete it's it's under stress so if you hit it it releases yeah. the stress and it explodes all you've got to do is watch the slow-mo guys yeah, absolutely you'll see that it flies in every fucking direction not, ever yeah not to mention the fact that first of all the guy confessed and said he broke mm. through the the glass mm-hmm. and also mm-hmm. they have now released security footage or they've they've looked at security footage that shows him doing exactly that so yeah. that is, that isn't i mean it was never a real question but it's it's been as comprehensively debunked as anything really can be yeah we've seen enough episodes of csi <laughs> to, to know that that happens but they've you know there's a selective blindness on the right they only see what they want to see. Yeah. But they did, after having all of these mutually exclusive theories 
of, yeah. of it didn't happen at all. He somehow did it to himself. Right. It was a grinder hookup gone bad. He was a male prostitute. It was a drug deal. Pelosi was drunk. This guy was just a crazy Democrat mm, uh, okay. who yeah, is a yeah. nudist hippie who lives in Berkeley and therefore mm-hmm. is, can't possibly be a Republican. They no. they finally, after a few days, all decided that it did definitely happen, mm-hmm. but it's okay because he's an illegal immigrant. Okay, <laughs> right. So, so no wonder we've been... Yeah. Spent, you know, gone down this rabbit hole of of untruth because he's an illegal immigrant. Yeah, albeit so, from Canada. Albeit, yeah, yeah, yeah. They they said that he overstayed his visa, which is clever because you don't need a visa from Canada uh, to the US. Yeah, um, yeah. So, but but, I mean, that's kind of a technicality. You, uh, Canadians are allowed to go to the US for business or pleasure for six months uh, without a visa, and he had been there for a few years probably. So he he overstayed the legal amount of time he was technically allowed to be there. Right. And yeah, technically he's an immigrant, but let's face it, that's not who they're talking about when they say illegal immigrants. No. They don't mean no. Canadians. There no. are there are no people <laughs> on Fox News saying we need to secure our northern border. Yeah, because that's an insecure border because all it does is stop the influx of fentanyl. <laughs> yeah. It's like if that's how insecure it is. It will stop countless thousand tons of of fentanyl. But yeah, no, that's right. So yes, let's play the immigrant card. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm surprised that the prime minister of Albania hasn't had to go on um, U.S. news and say, "Yeah, you can't use us. Can't keep using us as the excuse for your failed politics, like they're doing in Britain." Yeah. So, in a, oh, no, an God. unprecedented move, after oh, a trend. 100 and, a trend. 112 trend episodes... going to carry on, yeah. We have yeah. A, a second is not a logical fallacy segment. Basically, it's the first time we've been able to kind of replace all the really bad news that we <laughs> always talk about in logical fallacies. It's the grim stuff that brings us down by... We've, we've managed to counter that with some really good stuff. Yeah, because we yeah. spent the weekend, last weekend, at QED... The Skeptical Conference in Manchester, organised by the uh, Merseyside Skeptics and the Greater Manchester Skeptics. And, oh my God, it was fucking awesome. It was (laughs) was so good. It was good fun, wasn't it? It was like, it's like I kept saying to, to Jim, this is a bit like my experience of going to music festivals, because... Jim, Jim doesn't do that. I've never been to do one. music. No. no. But except it was indoors. And and the acts were like university lecturers <laughs> talking to us about statistics, or they were writers talking about the history of eugenics, or they were literal rocket scientists talking about what sunset and sunrise would look like on exoplanets. It, it was just great. It was so good. There were panel discussions. There were po- live podcast recordings. Live podcast recordings, I listened to a, yeah. a, a live recording of Skeptical Inquiries Only and Skeptics yeah. with a K. And, and we, and we uh, watched God Awful, God Awful Movies. movies. Yeah. Oh, Which is hilarious. So, yeah. so it was just a fantastic weekend. We met 
amazing people. Yeah. We had all kinds of great chats. We learned new things. Uh, we started off the, the day before the conference itself really kind of got yeah. started. There's this thing called Skepticamp, which is uh, the skeptics in the pubs groups around the UK and, in fact, around other countries as well, have got together during the pandemic to do Skeptics in the Pub Online. I did a talk from a couple of years ago. They organised this day of talks of just mm. kind of anyone can apply and say, I'd like, we'd like to do a talk. A uh, short 10-minute presentation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then they choose a, a kind of schedule of, of a day of talks. And it's free. It's not part of the of QED really as such because QED, you have to pay for the weekend, but anyone can go to Skepticamp. We did a talk on the Friday yeah. afternoon about logical fallacies and... Uh, it was a bit scary. Um, <laughs> Went down well, <laughs> but, but it did go down yeah. well. It, yeah, after, yeah. like once we were on stage, it was fine. It was just kind of the anticipation yeah. was a bit scary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it went went well. Uh, we had some good feedback about it. There was a quiz that evening, which was uh, run by Heath Enright of The Scathing Atheist and all the other podcasts. And it was a good quiz. The questions were good. The scoring was fucking insane. But but it was yeah. fine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we enjoyed it. We came fifth out of like yeah. twenty something teams. Um, right. yeah. So that was right. Yep. Then the weekend proper started. And there as Mark said, there were talks from all kinds of different people. And in between the talks there were other people to chat to and beers to be drunk and fun. It was a bit like I imagine the Cannes Film Festival is when you turn up and you've got your own film, uh, but you're there and you see, you go, bloody hell, that's George Clooney, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and there's De Niro over there. And, oh, no, it's, it's Danny Boyle and, you know, uh, and, and whoever. And and yet also people are coming up to you as a filmmaker going, oh, yeah, I saw your film, it's great, really like it. So the, and we had that experience because it was the, super the filmmakers weird and were awesome. like, but yeah, <laughs> the, the the filmmakers, if you like, at QED Con um, were podcasters. So yeah. they were it's this community of podcasters and or p- people who are champions of critical thinking who have then made a podcast to share those ideas. So it was filled with people that have done that and. You would look across the bar, and Jim got all excited. He's going, "No, there's bloody, there's, there's god awful movies, people. Yeah. There's Thomas Smith and Lindsay Osterman, and, and, and oh, Eli, there's just so many. And, yeah. I was completely starstruck. I was, yeah, like yeah, I really was... wanted to go and talk to them all weekend, and I was feeling like I just don't want to bother them. And and I know <laughs> that part of the reason they're there is to say hi to people and you know chat yeah. and stuff. And, uh, and, and, that, and that they're ordinary people, yeah, yeah, just like we are, yeah, of course. Who's who sit with headphones on and a microphone <laughs> and talk about stuff that they get really excited about, yeah. And that, and that's all that they are. And then we realise that because other people who are listeners of ours came up to us and, and said, "Oh yeah, oh you're Jim and Mark, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've been listening to you for like a hundred uh-huh. episodes, and that was odd because we didn't. Oh, oh right, we're we're yeah. on the receiving end. We're on of, that side of, of this the, conversation. Of the, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it was a bit like I was saying to Jim that my experience of being in a band, because we met one listener who was wearing my band's T-shirt. <laughs> and, um, and my yeah, experience... Yeah, one, of, one being, of our patrons here. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Being, being, in a, being in a band and having a set list, because, you know, you think, well, what, what, what the fuck are we going to sing? Okay, let's do it in this order. So you have a set list. And people, after some gigs, have come up to us and said, can I have your set list and can you sign it? 
as proper fans. And I did that once on a Friday. And then on the Sunday, I went to see another band and I asked them that same question. And so I'd gone from the person that somebody sheepishly asks <laughs> whether they could have it to sheepishly asking a, a band whether I could. And, they, and forgetting in the process that you are the same kind of person that just makes music and hopes people turn up and listen to it. So we, you know, we make podcasts and hope people turn up and listen to it, just like we turn up and listen <laughs> to other people's podcasts who we think are awesome. And to find people who listen to us that think we're awesome was very <laughs> odd. It, it was, was super weird, was but, but yeah. amazing. Um, yeah. yeah, we met... Um, one another one of our our more recent patrons, One Eyed Nick. Uh, he was on our quiz team, yep. and we chatted to him a lot. And we hung out a lot with uh, Amber R. Buchanan, who you will have heard from the closing credits of the show. Yeah, uh, a lot. Yeah, uh, she was amazing. We spent yeah. the quite a lot of the weekend. Yeah, came all the way from Virginia to <laughs> Manchester, England, to to do the thing, to li- listen to that stuff, and then so it was like stupidly hungover. Not hungover. <laughs> Not hungover. Jet lag. Yeah. No, she did get hungover. Afterwards. Stupidly jet With a little help from us. Yeah. But then, but then hung out, and then one night we kind of, you know, we chatted away after the thing, and then we went off to do karaoke, and then we left that after twenty-four oh, we did, seconds. Yeah, we did. We went. <laughs> yeah. We went to karaoke. Let's tell. Even if this like bit only goes do. to the patrons, yeah. we we yeah. went to karaoke, which is not necessarily my comfort zone, but I had mm-hmm. had a few beers, mm-hmm. and. Um, and and we, you suggested it. I was very impressed. Well, I, I was invited by, by, by one of the people from uh, Skeptics in the Pub. And, oh, um, well, and yeah, yeah, then and I thought, yeah, it's rude not to. So yeah. um, so we went to this place and <laughs> we paid to get in, or more accurately, Mark, Mark paid for all yeah, us to get in. To go up the stairs. Um, we, yeah. went, we went up the stairs and, and I was expecting, because I've been to karaoke in London uh, and it's like a you know small room with some seats and, a, and like you and the people you know in a yeah. room having a bit of a drink and a sing and a yeah. laugh. Yeah. This wasn't that, that a very... Itself, I'm surprised that you've done... That's fine, yeah. You know, yeah. This, this yeah. by contrast, was a, yeah. a very dark, very loud nightclub. Very loud, yeah. Packed. With with people Absolute singing. Packed. But, look, like, I so loud, I can't describe it to you. Yeah. Um, and within seconds, I, I was like, we have to go. This go. is... Yeah. I can't be in here this is not okay and we and we and in the process of leaving we collected other people yeah because there were other people who felt the same way about it as we we just hung out with them we had a fantastic evening chatting with them and drinking walking on down going back to the hotel where we thought that the bar was closed the bar was Uh still open yeah and then and then to kind of round out the story in the in the perfect filmic way met the people went out onto the the Car park. Sit, sit outside <laughs> yeah. in a car park, and we kind met of. people who had just got back. This felt like hours this and was hours, hours later. later. This was yeah. And we this, met people yeah. who just got back from the same karaoke place. Oh, man. It was just the perfect ending to the to the story. Yeah. And then on the the Sunday there was more awesome talks, and yeah. and then after everything ended, everyone kind of went back to the bar. I got up the courage, and I yeah. decided to go and talk to No Illusions. And yep. Eli Bosnick, and they were awesome and friendly yep. and lovely, and I was so happy that I did it and sad that I hadn't done it earlier. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and yeah. uh, 
and Noah thought my Four Seasons Total Landscaping t-shirt was funny. There you go. And yeah. it was just great. So, yeah, it was an amazing weekend. And, and part of the reason we're telling you this is not to gloat that we had an amazing weekend while you were sat at home. It is to say, oh, next do year, do it. come yeah. come to QED. We, yeah. we, we loved meeting absolutely everybody. Honestly, it, it is our people. That is, yeah, yeah, that yeah. is an entire yeah. Yeah. room, huge room filled yeah. with our people. Yeah. And we loved meeting the ones that we met this weekend. Um, come yeah. and meet us and say hi. It would be awesome and you will have a great time. So QED next year. I don't know when they'll make the announcement of when it's happening or, or tickets will go on sale. But yeah. I mean, I'm going to immediately book for the next one as soon as I can. Because it was didn't fucking manage brilliant. Didn't to get tickets. So yeah, let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> And finally, some things we really don't have time to talk about. One of the pesky things about the law is that even when something is so obvious that everyone knows it's true, they still make you prove it with evidence and shit. For example, there's a great deal of evidence that Trump pushed election fraud claims that were demonstrably false both to the public and through his lawyers in court. He did it pretty much immediately following the election and hasn't really stopped since. And thanks to testimony and documents, we know the extent to which it led to the January 6th insurrection. However, until recently, his legal team have been able to make the argument that there was no corrupt intent behind his clearly false claims, because he's really, really stupid. Much like Don Jr. avoided prosecution through being too stupid to understand he wasn't allowed to make deals with hostile foreign governments, Don Sr. was so stupid, narcissistic and gullible that he really believed he did win the 2020 election, and more than 10,000 dead people voted in Fulton County. I say until recently because US District Court Judge David Carter has finally got round to looking at the less urgent emails from Trump lawyer John Eastman to check if they were really privileged, as Eastman claims, and ordered eight more to be released to the January 6th committee, four of which lose the privilege due to the crime fraud exception. Judge Carter took the unusual step of quoting one of the as yet unreleased emails in his ruling, and it turns out Eastman put in writing in December 2020 that Trump had been made aware of the inaccuracy of several specific claims, and if he signed any legal documents saying they were true, he could get into trouble. You'll be shocked to hear that Trump did indeed subsequently do exactly that and continue to push those numbers in public too. Yep, there's our hot hand. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, when advised, he will do the opposite. So, what do you do when you're trailing in the gubernatorial race in Michigan against the incumbent Democrat Gretchen Whitmer? Well, if you're former TV news anchor Tudor Dixon, what you do is ignore history and then not ignore some other history to support your campaign. Being a TV person in recent history, say June 2020, you can be pretty sure that recordings exist. For instance, of you saying in a six-minute monologue at the head of the far-right Real America's Voice show that the country today is divided and this was the plan. It's been in the works for years, the idea that you can topple the greatest country in the world. But to topple a country like the United States of America, you must be planning this for decades. Why wouldn't that come from the party that lost the Civil War? The party that wanted to own people because they viewed them as less than human. Do you think that the Democrats are over losing to the North? Yep, me too. Sitting here, wide-eyed, scratching my head, mouthing, what? But the the South and Democrats defecting the Republican Party because slavery and like Lincoln and end of slavery and Gettysburg and what are they teaching in schools over there? Well, of course, if Dixon got away, they'd not be teaching critical race theory for sure, which this actually is, isn't it? 
Unlike Lincoln, who said the world will little note nor long remember what we say here and was oh so very wrong, Dixon's campaign, when asked about the contents of this speech, rolling all of the responses to George Floyd and the pandemic into a theory that the Dems want to divide the country and feed white people white guilt so that they can assume power and gladly own and enslave people of all colours again, ignored that bit of history and failed to answer CNN's queries. Rather, they claimed CNN is rushing to the aid of their favoured candidate, Gretchen Whitmer. Well, there you go, folks. Tudor Dixon, the human food blender, mashing up the nation's history into her own private Michigan to make things easier to swallow. Don't forget to fucking vote. (laughs) Finding out where the line is for different groups can be interesting. You know, the line that's crossed when someone goes too far. More and more frequently in the nightmare hellscape we call politics, just finding out there is indeed a line is nice. But conservative journalist Lara Logan seems so intent on finding that line, I assume she must be writing a book on it or something. Lara used to work for CBS News as their chief foreign affairs correspondent. She found their line in 2013 when she was fired for an inaccurate and poorly sourced report on the Benghazi attack. Then she went to Fox News, who had no problem with her falling for and reporting multiple obvious hoaxes about Antifa, but somewhat surprisingly balked at her calling Anthony Fauci a Nazi. Lara found a new home at Newsmax, who were apparently unfazed by the reductio ad Hitlerum and ambivalent about her spouting pro-Kremlin propaganda about Ukraine and her claim that Darwin was paid by the Rothschilds to come up with the theory of evolution. But Lara was undaunted. Determined to find Newsmax's line, she claimed on air last week that people at the World Economic Forum want us eating insects, cockroaches and that while they dine on the blood of children. Which kind of sounds like she thinks it's unfair she never gets to dine on the blood of children. <laughs> she also said, God believes in sovereignty and national identity and the sanctity of family and all of the things that we've lived with from the beginning of time. And he knows that the open border is Satan's way of taking control of the world. Mm. So having finally proved that it's possible for someone to be too crazy for Newsmax, without even the threat of a multi-million dollar lawsuit from Dominion, Newsmax released a statement condemning her reprehensible statements in the strongest possible terms and promising never to interview her again. She's going to run for office. It's the only... The only logical step. And now, news of the right-wing superhero movie Rebels Run, which featured the character Rebel fighting a global police force hunting down free-thinking conservatives. Yeah, perhaps a somewhat nichier movie than the Marvel Universe, but one for which Theodore Beale, a far-right blogger known as Vox Day, managed to sufficiently inspire his followers, the supreme dark lord of the evil legion of evils minions, to raise over a million dollars. Link to the trailer, though, and you'll find Vimeo's page stating, Vimeo, uh-oh, something once lived here, but it's been deleted. Eh, why is that? Well... When you're in the right-wing world of funding the unfundable to say the unsayable, you're going to have to keep your money safe with those who bank the unbankable. James Wolfgram's Utah-based Ohana Capital Financial, for example. A self-described cryptocurrency billionaire. Yeah, you can hear the alarm bells too, hey? According to a federal indictment filed last month, Wolfgram's wealth was a sham. The sports car's pictures posted on his social media, for example, were pulled from other websites. He also sold crypto mining rigs, which, not unlike the screens we saw in 2000 Mules, were fake and simply ran a loop of mining activity, like a mashup of Manic Miner on the Sinclair Spectrum and that bit from Speed. Not surprisingly, Wolfgram was indebted to other clients and, in an echo perhaps of Trump, 
used the money from one grift to pay off the debts of another grift to do with fake PPE supply. Despite their supposed outsider status, Beale and his collaborators called the mainstream law enforcers the FBI. Later, composing himself, Beale declared, I strongly suspect this whole thing was a targeted operation intended to break our community. Nah, no, looks like you're able to do that on your own. Pitch it as a documentary and Dinesh D'Souza will fund it, I'm sure. Trump is the best at losing in court. Everybody says so. Nobody has ever lost like him. But losing by simply failing to prove your case, having your own lawyers disbarred, or having summary judgments against you for failing to produce evidence probably gets pretty boring when you've done it as many times as Trump. We all need a bit of variety to keep things interesting, and while Trump's lawyers didn't exactly find a new way to lose in New York last week, they may have found a new reason to settle a lawsuit. A group who claimed Trump's security guards beat them up for protesting outside Trump Tower back in 2015 filed a lawsuit suit which Trump was apparently willing to fight in court until his lawyers started interviewing potential jurors in the case. According to the Daily Beast, they had trouble finding potential jurors who weren't openly hostile towards Trump and his politics and decided it would be better for everyone if they just came to a last-minute settlement agreement with the plaintiffs. (laughs) You know what? Reading Wolfgang's name reminded me of someone and then our most favourite ham-fisted fuckwit since the Three Stooges, Jacob Wall and Jack Berkman showed up again. Yay! This time, pleading guilty on October 24th in Cuyahoga County Common Pleas Court in Cleveland to telecommunications fraud in relation to a harebrained scheme to depress black turnout by dint of robocalls dispensing misinformation about the 2020 election. Berkman initially claimed that his number had been spoofed when the account responsible for paying for the calls was immediately traced to his cell phone. No one in their right mind would put their own cell phone on a robocall. I suspect he then realised what he'd said and nodded in surrender. A bit like Al from the diner in Happy Days. <sighs> yep, yep, yep. <laughs> Whilst attorneys general in Michigan and New York moved against Wall and Berkman over the calls and the FEC assessed a $5.1 million fine and the National Coalition on Black Civic Participation sued them for violating the Ku Klux Klan Act, prosecutors in Ohio have secured the first guilty plea. Knocking an original tally of eight counts of telecommunications fraud and seven bribery charges down to one charge of fraud and a $2,500 fine. Not clear what sentence the pair will receive, but law and crime reports they may actually serve time. And whilst we cheer in momentary celebration for Berkman and Wall, who face up to 24 years in prison if convicted in their upcoming face-off with Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel, the fun is just beginning. With Elon's takeover of Twitter complete, Trump's Truth Social is no longer the only social network that looks exactly like Twitter, but with open white supremacy and no hope of ever turning a profit. (laughs) Trump is still there, though, and last week he truthed this gem. So the Pennsylvania Supreme Court just ruled in effect that the 2020 presidential election was rigged, but they'll let that result stand, however, in future elections you're not allowed to do what was done in the 2020 election. Is that fair or even legal? This decision represents far more votes than would have been needed to win Pennsylvania. What a scam. As with all Trump's public pronouncements, this is totally accurate and needs no further context or explanation. But for those of you who remain sceptical, the fat liar is referring to a ruling by the Pennsylvania Supreme Court that any mail-in ballots received for the midterms in outer envelopes that are either undated or with an incorrect date should not be counted. 
The ruling comes following a challenge from Republicans, the sole purpose of which seems to be to reduce the total number of mail-in votes counted. After all, this has nothing to do with whether the ballots are received on time. Pennsylvania requires voters to hand-write a date on the envelope. In past elections, nobody cared what that date was. It could be in the future, if you like. And since the envelope being dated or not had no real bearing on anything, undated envelopes were generally accepted, especially since the Civil Rights Act makes it illegal to throw out ballots for minor reasons. In fact, the court was split three all on whether prohibiting the counting of these votes violated the Civil Rights Act. It's not about fraud, of course, because there's no reason whatsoever to assume that people voting illegally would be less likely to date their outer envelope than legal voters. Ultimately, what the courts and the Republicans have done here is ensured that fraudsters with good admin skills are more likely to get their votes counted than the around 8,000 Pennsylvanians who generally miss that part of the instructions each election. And of course it doesn't mean, as Trump claimed, that the court ruled the 2020 election was rigged. All it means is that democracy has been chipped away at again and will need to fight a little harder to get it back. Don't forget to fucking vote! In another up and down, gone and back few days in the home of the sick man of Europe slash laughing stock of the civilised world, Britain, the interest rates are up again, as are BP and Shell's profits. A new PM Rishi has performed more U-turns than trusts, having U-turned on all his leadership contest promises and also the specific promises of the Tory manifesto that for a brief moment Boris had a chance of a comeback on as the mandate he was voted in on in 2019. So Ella Braverman is back from the dead after six days because she apologised for breaking the ministerial code of conduct, so that's all right then. And Andrew Bridgen MP has been suspended for five days for breaching checks notes the code of conduct and because he displayed a cavalier attitude to the rules having accepted large sums of money from firms he lobbied on behalf of then he offered no apology but rather insinuated that the standards commissioner was only finding him guilty because she'd been promised a peerage on retirement and he advanced on five days three days has already been taken as the fastest resurrection time so far but perhaps in a peculiar mashup of the bible and the guinness book of records somebody may be in line to beat that. Not Matt Hancock, though, who not only was deliciously blanked by Rishi Sunak when going into number 10, glad-handing every single colleague except Hancock on the way, but as the surprise resurrect my career candidate in the new series of I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here in the UK, he will get voted to stay in every single bloody week for certain by the viewers' phone-in vote, so we make sure he gets to eat anuses be bathed in cockroaches in a subterranean glass box and subjected to all other televised tortures that ITV's advertising budget can muster to pay him back for being such a naive, vacuous, malevolent, negligent COVID killer of the elderly in care homes entitled Senseless Waste of Human Flesh. It's an episode of Black Mirror that Charlie Brooker will not have to write after all. So that's all the bad arguments and faulty reasoning we have time for this week. You'll find the show notes at fallaciousTrump.com and if you hear Trump say something stupid and want to ask if it's a fallacy, our contact details are on the contact page. If you think we've used fallacy ourselves, let us know. And if you've had a good time, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. Or simply tell one other person in person about how much they like our podcast. And you can support the show at patreon.com slash ftrump, just like our straw man level patrons schmoots. Mark Reiki and Amber R. Buchanan, who told us when we met her at QED, we can just call her Amber. And our true Scotsman level patron, Stephen Biggle, 
Janet Uetta, Kaz Tui, Andrew Houck, Max Beaver and our top patron, Lauren. Thank you so much for your continued patronage. It really means a lot to us. Thank you. You can connect with those awesome people as well as us and other listeners in the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Fallacious Trump. All music is by The Outbursts and was used with permission. So until next time on Fallacious Trump, we'll leave the last word to the Donald. That's right. Go home to mommy. Bye. Bye.